Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Money in the Bank review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamplot and Michael Sidgwick here to review everything that happened on this weekend's Money in the Bank premium live event. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we review Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2. Oh, AW Dynamite, AW Collision, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete. We're going to get a quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by the Dadleys to review Money in the Bank from the weekend. And Michael Hamlet, I hope, you hope this is all right. But obviously, you and I did the stream on Saturday, uh, and people probably saw a lot of our reactions and our takes on this show on the night. Uh, Sige, I think you should probably start us off. What did you make of Money in the Bank 2023? Oh, you're speechless. Well, I suppose, um, you know, if you can't really put into words how sensational this show was, um, you know, there's a lot of debate online, certainly in my Twitter mentions, apparently, uh, as to whether this show was better than Forbidden Door. If you think Forbidden Door was better than Money in the Bank, obviously just say something. Oh, well. Uh, Michael (laughs) Hampton. Oh, sorry. Can 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 you smell that? Papa H is cooking. <laughs> I can smell, smell several listeners just turn off the podcast straight away. They're like, well, I was false advertising the introduction. I'm pissed off by what Wilborn's just done there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell on him right now. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, my Twitter mentions might get pretty nasty. Oh, wait, that's already happened. Because <laughs> apparently you can't have subjective takes on wrestling anymore. You've, uh, you've got... S- I'm, just, I'm just asking questions, mate. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just putting some nice, fun little... Bobby Fish things out there. You're Bobby Fishing, all right. Some people on the internet can't take that. (laughs) You were Bobby Fishing, all right. Uh, Yeah, Sidge isn't with us. It's just me and Hamlet talking about You've got Sidge for Collision, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. And and Raw. Oh, we'll all be be together for Raw, yeah. Uh, Yeah, like, I don't know, right? If people, I'm worried genuinely people might switch off and not just because they've already seen our nonsense from Saturday's stream. It was a great stream. I would recommend anybody go back. One of my favourites I think we've ever done and we do typically get up to some nonsense anyway. Yeah. But I feel like there was a high quality amount of like, <laughs> um, quality, quantity of nonsense on uh, Saturday's stream yep. to accompany a show that I think we both really enjoyed. I've watched 
all of it back in chunks. Some of it at Casa de Wilborn. Yes. Because you very kindly put me up on Saturday. And that's the thing. I don't want people to switch this podcast off because I am I know for a fact that like Sidgwick's insight is something people, and rightfully so, people value um, mm-hmm. more than mine, realistically. Uh, <laughs> especially when it comes to WWE because I think he just looks at it with an eye that is perhaps, well, it's not only critical, but I think it's often more reflective of a certain like hardcore base. Mm. I'm never sure if I'm the exception or the rule when it comes to it. So I'm 38. Sidge, as much as he would hate to admit it, is only a few weeks behind that age. <laughs> and I think his attitude towards WWE is more reflective of the masses of 38-year-old fans than mine. I kind of welcome I welcome WWE being the thing I want most out mm. of it rather than just just hating it. Just deep just at my core hating it for what an ugly company it is, for some of the things it's done, for how it was bad enough for so long to blow a monopoly. Yeah. I kind of can't bring myself to. I actually want to like the best version of it. And I think that was why I found this show so gratifying, mm. because I felt like I was watching the best version of it. You know, right, so I'm going to get this out of the way early, because I think this became part, it might have been my fault. I think I might have made it part of the conversation. I didn't mean to, but it certainly became part of the conversation amongst our very loyal group of listeners and people we engage with on Twitter. Not the people that were giving you grief over Twitter of the weekend, the, the good guys. Um, that I had a gut feeling that I was going to enjoy the show more than Forbidden Door. Yeah, I did, right? It was my subjective feeling, my feeling that this was better, but I understand that you can't really speak in absolutes, even though, as evidenced by your tweet, that's what the algorithm rewards. Mm. But uh, So funny, by the way, because we, we, the, the story behind that is, so me and Hamlet do the live stream at a reasonable time here in the UK. Yeah, wrapped up by like 11, we, half we've 11. done by like half 11, yeah. And we're like reorganising the studio and uh, we're looking at our watches and going, this is it, we've had, we've had a, you know, a nice couple of drinks with, the, with everyone joining us on the live stream. And now we're going to go into town and, mm-hmm. and go to some late bars and maybe even a club, yeah. right? So I just thought I'll uh, I'll drop that. I'll drop the old uh, uh, the old greater than symbol and, <laughs> and say. But basically, I put money in the bank, greater than forbidden door, and then drop the old. And I mean, <laughs> folks, where's the lie? Right? And I, you know. I've got very much got the uh, John Oliver thing of tweet it, talk it, put it in your pocket, right? <laughs> Just do it and then forget about it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm obviously still an addict of Twitter, despite rate limits being exceeded and what have you. I, he may be one of the most awful humans alive, but he's a legend of the crack, is but, Elon Musk. But I don't, I'm not that obsessed that I'm checking it every five minutes mm-hmm. and I'm replying to every single person and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I, I drop that. We go out. Awesome night in town. Yes. Get back 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that time other than like going on holiday recently. Broad daylight leaving the club yeah. was quite an awesome experience, but then I quickly realized how it would feel if that was my every Saturday. Oh, God, I'd I don't be know really, how people do it anymore. I'd be really depressed. So we, we come back to mine, like we say, uh, wake up the next day feeling a little worse for wear mm-hmm. as a result. And uh, like you say, um, Anne Louise made us this lovely fry up and stuff, just exactly what oh, we needed. Legend. Yeah. Um, we showed uh, the best bits of Money in the Bank, so we watched, obviously we rewatched the entire show, <laughs> um, and then dropped you back at the station. A couple of hours later, I thought, oh, what's uh, Twitter's made of this show and my excellent take on it?" 
and it was <laughs> full on. And I've, the problem is I've used this too many times that I can't tweet this. Yeah. It was the community walking back in with the pizzas clip. Yes. That. Yeah. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get why that happened. Um, I guess... So the beauty of a podcast is that, you know, we haven't even gotten onto reviewing the show yet, but I guess the, the matches won't necessarily be as play-by-play as usual because no. of what we live through. So we can talk about this because it's all within context. I guess, like, now, everything has been so toxified that even if even if you were doing that earnestly, mm-hmm. 100% earnestly, and I think those listeners that have listened to enough of our podcasts, this is the first one, I do apologise, because we've gone <laughs> deep into the weeds and we've not even started the show yet, um, know you to know that there's a bit of fun attached to this. But... I kind of get a prankster. You're, you're wacky. You're just any guy. <laughs> I, I get where it all comes from, but I, I kind of want to use the podcast, a long form medium that we're very privileged to have it. Yeah. To like, not to fight for your take, but to fight for your opinion. Like that's a that's a less yes. impressive Daniel Bryan motivational speech. Fight for your opinions, and your opinions will fight for you. No, they won't. They'll get yeah. drowned out by people. Also, shouting. not you, you, and you on Twitter. They, they, you're not allowed <laughs> to do that. I like this show more, and I. The thing is, with I'll, I'll try and sum it up as best I can when I was having a discussion over the desks. First thing in the morning with Andy Murray, as we just, like, as civil people, shared what we liked and didn't like and didn't end up fighting each other when we disagreed, right? You can do that. Yeah, well, allegedly still so. The, the easiest way I could sum up my sort of experience of one versus another, if we're comparing, I know people don't like comparisons, but I think it's just, it can sometimes be relevant to the conversation and that's all right. My expectations were exceeded with Money in the Bank. Mm-hmm. They weren't met with Forbidden Door. and Despite the, how great some of the matches were, on yeah. it, obviously. So I was the low guy on a match that people called the match of the year. Mm-hmm. And again, I, we've done this long enough now. Jamie got beaten, what, six days later? Yeah. Jeez. Like, we've done this enough now that we've been called every kind of biased against and for every kind of thing. Oh, And that's great because that point is, is that means like... I like to think you must be doing something right. If on any given week or day you can be a shill for this, a shill for that, these can Mate, be. If I had a pound for every time that someone had said that to me, I'd have the exact same amount of money that um, AEW and WWE pay me every week. Exactly, exactly. You know, <laughs> like we've put the checks on camera; they know we're being paid. This is it. Like we, it'll always be what we think. We've got our biases. We've got our favorite wrestlers. We've got our favorite stories. Like you joked for years, AEW shill, WWE shill. I'm not even sure we've got our favorite companies, but we've got our favorite flavors of pro Leaning. wrestling. Yeah, maybe. yeah. And I, but I never, th- I'd like to think that never compromises. I'm not going to use the word integrity. We do a wrestling podcast. Yeah. We cashed out our integrity years ago. But I think in terms of like what we try and review, I, th- I think we kind of cover off the biases before we talk about the things we like. And that's one of the reasons why I think I'm so high on money in the bank in contrast to Forbidden Door. And if I, that should put over Forbidden Door and yes. AW. Like that, I can't make that clearer. I tried really hard. You, you're doing a really good job of undermining the series by trying to make it, but that's, that's kind of why I'm going to love you. Uh, I didn't get the gangbusters, blockbuster show I really wanted for Forbidden Door. Mm. I got that and more from... Mm. Um, Helped that we could hear a crowd for once on a WWE show. Well, I mean, that, that, do you know, and right, this is a really good point. Like, those, I'm finding myself getting increasingly frustrated with these dead roles because I'm enjoying them. And I'm getting angry on behalf of the characters I'm really liking and the stories that I'm kind of finding myself getting invested in. I th- I think fed good at the moment, right? I'm, I'm really quite enjoying the bulk of WWE's yeah. output. If you break it down story by story and character by character, I'm liking more than I'm disliking yes. from WWE. 
And the problem comes when you watch and you have a fan base that, based on their financial investment, completely agree, and based <laughs> on their emotional one, couldn't care less. I don't get it, and I don't like it because it's actively impacting my enjoyment. None of that was present uh, at Backlash. None of it was present on the Backlash Smackdown, nor was it present on the London Smackdown. Yeah. And there are all these examples of characters clearly, in some respect, connecting, clearly connecting, box office, ratings, the hot towns, the yeah, hot places. Yeah. Actual definite connection. Like, we can talk about our subjective feelings about this show and any other show, but there's some objective stuff. There's uh-huh. some metrics, right? And yet, I would say probably if there's a raw with... If there's a month with four raws in it, three of them are going to be dead. Yeah. And then, like, they'll come up for one angle or one promo in the night. And I'm finding that really frustrating. And Money in the Bank, like Backlash, and like, Triple H has done a really good job with the PLEs, but, like, specific hot towns and hot venues felt a little bit like vindication because I was like, there's a reaction to a thing I like. Yeah. And this show wasn't perfect, but I found it really, really, really rewarding. Like, way up there in my personal yeah. show of the year. And that, again, doesn't seem reflected by the masses. So, again, I, like, I don't mind that if, you know, sometimes you're swimming against the tide or anything like that. But I just, I, I, as we were saying with Puerto Rico, it's like, well, just play there every week. Yeah. Like, this is why, like, play London every week. or play, like, as Brits, we get, um, and you certainly found this out, you get pelters from our friends on the other side of the pond mm-hmm. sometimes for not being permitted to have certain takes. But actually, f*** you. <laughs> like, because what I'm but not... also at the same time. And God bless the United States. And that a bit. that guy too. Like, what I'm not hearing is noise in the buildings. Yeah. But us Brits, TM, the ones that stay up till four in the morning for these shows every week. Uh-huh are the ones that are more than glad enough to be full-throated. And this isn't just exclusive to WWE, because look at Wembley Stadium next f***ing month. So how about f*** you? Not to all our American listeners that I love dearly. Of course. But to the ones that are, like, crucifying you for a one admittedly hilarious tweet, and just generally the, the guys that think beans toast is a description of a breakfast. Like, no, because these reactions, and again, I, I discount Puerto Rico, I discount the PLE crowd's, Enlarge and I discount the hot AW crowds, but they're not there every week, so the same problem yeah. is occurring in AW. Like, I'm sorry, America, if you feel spoilt by all the pro wrestling that you've been given. Sorry, Chicago, a town that like is considered one of the hottest wrestling towns in the world, that by all accounts now can't be asked to get out of the chairs. Apologies to Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, for not coming up when the punker is uh, standing down Samoa Joe ahead of a huge rematch next <gasps> week. Make some fucking noise. Yeah. Like, show, show these performers that are in this era, like, here we go, it's a great time to be a wrestling fan, Will Bond. <laughs> you having that, right? Show the performers that that fact is true yeah. by helping generate these reactions. And with Money in the Bank, because we will circle back to this being a pay-per-view. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With Money in the Bank, I think why a lot of people watching on television felt this was mid was just because the crowd was the only hot aspect of it. That is where I personally disagree, and we'll dig into why that might be in some of the matches. But, uh, yeah, I've alienated half our listenership, so and that was just in the intro, so best get on so I can finish the other half by having wrestling takes that they disagree with. Oh, my beer, because I've got something to say. Oh, God. Um, So often... Regular listeners will know this. I'll come in and like a dog or I don't know what. The last thing I've seen uh, colours my judgment on a show. Yes. So it can be a dreadful raw, but if there's a great angle in the last five minutes, I come in and be like, raw go it again. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so circumstances often uh, cloud my judgment. And um, 
especially when it comes to, to streams, obviously, normally we say that because you, whether you can't hear the crowd or you can't hear the commentary or you're just having a good time with your mate or whatever it may be, sometimes you don't quite pick up on the vibes coming out of this show. So it's my last live stream on for a while on uh, on Saturday, obviously. Um, what with... Oh, this, wasn't, this wasn't money in the bank. This was bun in the oven. Yeah. That's how I remember this show. Yes, so I'll, it was sort of a, a nice sign-off, a nice sign-off at a reasonable time. And so that's a novelty. Uh, I'm doing it with you. Obviously, you and I just have a lot of fun together mm. wherever we are. Yeah. Live streams, <laughs> office, good brews. <laughs> um, so there's that. And there's the giddiness of me coming out of it going, oh, my God, it's still, stuff's still happening. Mm-hmm. And we go out into town, we have this great sort of last hurrah for me in terms of nights out as well. Is this a good review podcast? Are we just having a nice chat about our weekend? I'm not <laughs> sure what this is. I'm having a good time. Yeah. Like. So <laughs> I thought, you know, particularly with the, the tweet, I thought, right, let's, let's re-watch this show. And we did yep. on, uh, on Sunday morning with my wife, Anna Louise. And, and I thought, you know, maybe I've got carried away saying it's better than Forbidden Door. Maybe, and here's an option, I just did it to poke the bear a little bit and uh, may have succeeded completely in my mission there. But maybe I'm just giving my subjective takes and uh, apparently you're not allowed to have that if it's not a certain way on the internet. But I thought, right, in the, in the cold light of day, yeah. how's this show? And you know what, I, I was wrong. It wasn't better than Forbidden Door. It was better than WrestleMania X7. It's the greatest pre <laughs> I've ever seen. So let's dive straight into it. I like you went to X7 too. Yeah. Good. I just had a sensational time watching this show. I'll tell you, if we'd have reviewed this show on Saturday night, I'd have been higher on one match specifically that I'm going to be a bit meaner to here uh-huh. um, on the, from the second watch. So I know it wasn't this perfect thing, but I am currently trying to decide if I preferred it to WrestleMania Night 1 as my favourite wow. show of the year. Um, but again, this is so not reflective of the overall... This is the second week in a row for us. Mm. Well, like, I'm a little bit nervous going in because I don't feel like I share the sentiment of the wider fan base. And as much as, like, I'm fine with it, I'm old enough and, like, kind of browbeaten enough now to be okay with that. But I would like to find my way back. Yes. <laughs> like, that's two weeks on the spin where I just I feel like I'm off kilter with the general sentiment. Yeah, and if you've got a differing opinion, look, I could agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. Um <laughs> Money in the Bank ladder match starts the show off the men's Money in the Bank ladder match. Uh, it was Shinsuke Nakamura, Santos Escobar, Ricochet, Logan Paul, Butch, Damian Priest, and L.A. Knight. Yeah! Uh, where do you want to start with this? Do you want to start with the Ricochet, Logan Paul spot? Yes, that's a good place to start because it was a good place for them two to end. Jesus. The, well, yeah, that spot kind of contributes to my overall thoughts on this. For those that haven't seen, and I suppose most will, because Money in the Bank felt like it was a bit of an event show, um, Logan Paul and Ricochet were going to be ousted from the match completely, as is often the case in these Money in the Bank matches. There has to be a spot that stops you just being a guy that can run back into just uh-huh. the climber. And by the end of the match, that's what happens. All the wrestlers gradually, one by one, are put in a position where, well, there's no getting up from that. So if the winner is climbing... It's like, well, they're down, they're down. Is everybody yeah. accounted for? It's like an admin thing, isn't it? And Ricochets and Logan Pauls was to be the most spectacular of all the admin tasks because, of course, it was. They were supposed to be in a spot. You've got the double ladder thing. We've all seen it before where there's two on one ladder, there's two on another, and it becomes this little push and pull, and then two fall off on one side and two fall on the other on the other. It was very much an Edge and Christian Hardy's yeah. thing. 
Uh, and you've got Ricochet and Logan Paul left on one. LA Knight is trying to individually take them down. Uh-huh. He can't. So after he gets kicked away by both of them, he does the big push. And you can picture it in a video game with perfection. Off they fall. The old spot would be over the top rope and through a table. Yeah, right? my, my brain there gives me images of Bubba Ray Dudley and like Jeff Hardy. Yeah, yeah that sort of thing. Sean did it in that three-stage of hell against Triple H. Yeah. You've got like two or four tables stacked up. So there's a big landing space. And three, they go dead. They're out of the match. Ricochet and Logan Paul being Ricochet and Logan Paul attempted something even crazier. <laughs> they wanted it to land on the top rope as if it was a tightrope. And with the what? five, six inches of rope with which to stand on, base themselves for a Spanish fly Jeez. that happened in perpetual motion with the ladder falling. If that sounds almost impossible, they proved it was, right? <laughs> it, like, the, the ladder wasn't quite in the right position. You could kind of tell on second watch Ricochet was giving it the eyes, and he looked a bit like, is this going to work? Yeah. Like, but they kind of found themselves spider, I was going to say Spider-Man, Spider-Men <laughs> in, in the ropes together, a bit tangled like a web, pulled themselves enough to the top rope and then Ricochet, and I know a Spanish fly is a cooperative thing, but you're watching it, and it is honestly like Ricochet, like, we're going now, we're going now, get ready to flip. And they went, and because it happened like that, they kind of under-rotated slightly, and it was as if uh, Logan Paul was taking a flying tombstone through oh, the God. table. They both emerged fine, hopefully. It yeah, was the same. only injury Triple H reported was someone rolling their ankle walking backstage. Yeah. Logan Paul's a part-timer, so like he's got that longer recovery spell, typically. It's that mm-hmm. kind of like Shane McMahon ticket he's got. Ricochet's just incredible. Um, The spot was horrifying, but it kind of summed up this match to me because I'm very, um, like, tuned out of ladder matches, and it's unfair because the wrestlers absorb the most pain. Oh, yeah. You know, we always talk about the John Moxley example of him being like, no, I'm out. I'm not doing that. You can hold me in an exploding barbed wire death match, like a good one, but um, (laughs) not the AW one. But... I'll I'll take pain, but I won't take that. Yeah, Butch took a, a horrible bump onto be like throwing onto a ladder, and I was like, no one's going to remember that tomorrow. And yeah. he's taken a really good bump there, and a really horrible looking one, and a painful one. But you made a great point about the horrible looking bumps in this match. They were like they were great for the drama. There wasn't a single ladder that broke. No, nope. which is typically like you know it's impressive. But it does then, when you see the wood and you see that it's like a kind of prop ladder, you're yeah. like, that's effectively a table, but you've made a ladder-shaped table. <laughs> this was like, they were they were absorbing the damage and the cost and the toll that we're all told about. But you made an excellent point that many of these spots aren't likely to make it to the replay packages of the severity of Money in the Bank, which is ironic because those video packages exist to make you be like, this match kicks your ass. Yes. But... They like it to kick your ass in a clean way, in a video package friendly I hope way. Vega and Zoe Starks, uh, yeah, makes it because that was great. That's the one I think. There wasn't much clean about this. It was ugly and it was gnarly. And I think, in terms of the reality of a ladder match, that's more about what you want. Yes, the placement of this was crucial because WWE weren't putting LA Knight over, and they knew how that was going to go down, and they positioned it so that you've got the entire rest of the show. Not only to get over it, but have other things to cheer about when the fans were going to get them. This did not kill the evening. It's a ballsy move by WWE because when they've done that in the past, i.e. like Daniel Bryan in the Rumble, yeah. sometimes those shows have just gone completely off the rails. That's it. This wasn't hijacked far from it, which does make you question, is it just everybody getting caught up in a moment? With like, I guess that remains to be seen. They've taken another gamble by not rocket strapping a baby face. It's like, mm. feels like the third or fourth time this year where they've chosen not to do well, that. Papa did say good things come to those who wait, so um, let it play out. Papa. And uh, mm. I, it's just like, it wasn't to be for LA Knight. That said, and the age thing is stupid because Damien Priest is older than yes, LA Knight. Yeah, yeah. But I do think one of the reasons why there hasn't been quite as much vitriol thrown at this is because more people are accepting, you know what, like, let's give Damien Priest a go. Like, this hasn't been LA Knight loses, 
Kane wins. Yes. Or LA Knight's got the briefcase in hand like Mustafa Ali and Brock's here. Yeah. This is like, uh, like the age thing is a factor because it's not like, well, sorry, we're just pushing young talent. But I would say this, it's not about your birth certificate, it's about your TV age. Yeah. Damien Priest as a character is like, what, four years old max? As the Judgment Day's like big gun that's going to turn babyface, that character's about three, four months old. It's feeling fresh. He's worth a punt. Yeah. Nobody is cut. Even Austin Theory last year, as the young talent, proper young, people were thinking, I don't believe that. I don't buy it. This is a company decision rather than a fan's one. There was a sense of, all right, I'm going to watch where this goes with Damien yeah. Priest. And I think that's one of the reasons why the process vote hasn't been quite as loud. Yeah, obviously, and you could hear it in the arena how over LA night was. Uh, in the moment, I was disappointed. But like you say, it wasn't like they'd gone... You know, Logan Paul would have been in a very different direction, for example, to take this in. Mm-hmm. I think Damian Priest wasn't anyone's first pick. He was probably sort of second or third for this. But it, it's not the end of the world. People like Damian Priest. People can picture Damian Priest. Damian Priest, since he arrived on the main roster, was always kind of going to be a, uh, a world champion, he felt. Yep. Uh, he had that, obviously, brilliant match with Bad Bunny, which have no doubt helped his case for something like this. Totally, yeah. And speaking of coaches... Um, <laughs> The thing with LA Knight not winning, disregarding what happened later on in this show, which I thought completely vindicated the decision that they made in this opening match. Yeah. Because um, WWE can do long-term storytelling, guys. Um, the thing with LA Knight is... We're, we're, we're having our cake and eating it too here because we're trying to do the earnest defense of ourselves and then being dickheads. Yeah. yeah. Um, fuck was my world. Uh, <laughs> What would Wilborn do? That was what I thought. And exactly, then I did it. yes. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the thing with LA Knight is people sort of were fine afterwards because they were like, oh, okay, well, maybe LA wins the Rumble. Mm-hmm. So it's not completely out of the picture that he's, he's going to, you know, does he need the briefcase? And it's certainly in terms of setting himself up for big matches and title matches, he's got a gob on him that can do that job without the need for a briefcase. I'm not saying Damian Priest hasn't, but I just think the the dynamic of him with that briefcase, not only on this show, but going forward, I think is just fascinating. LA Knight's got the gob for the job. <laughs> yes. That's why whenever we sort of defend why he didn't win money, well, it's got gob for the job. Gob for the job, mate. Gob for the job. Um, let's talk about a surprising match that came next. It was the match, I think it's fair to say most people were least interested in. Mm. Um, because it seemed so obvious. Yeah. I said on the news again today t- with Andy, I'm fairly certain I said the, the words, uh, I'd put my house on Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler retaining the Women's Tag Team Championships. They were facing the recently reunited Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez, uh, and I predicted a turn. Raquel attacking Liv, as always seems to be happen- happened for poor Liv Morgan, mm-hmm. um, and we go off in that direction. And there was a turn, just... Not the one we expected. I'm really intrigued by how this is followed up on. Uh, the talk today, obviously, is that Ronda's not got very long left, and this is set up a match at SummerSlam. But, yeah, no one saw this coming. Yeah, there were three matches on this show where the last percentage of it, and I don't want to specify this in minutes because it's very different across the three matches, but the last portions of the match were the, the bits that kind of made them, or indeed made them talking points, depending on like your, your mileage may vary in all of them. But this was such an effective one that I think that it got the match over the line. Yeah. I have very few memories of the match itself. Um, I always love that um, Raquel Rodriguez powerbombing live onto their opponent's yeah. spot. I think that's like a really, I think that's both a really fun double team move and a really cool thing to do when she's turning on her. 
Like, mm. this is the thing we've done together, and now I'm doing it to break you in half, that kind of thing. So, like, sorry, Liv, because you're going to take an awful bump one of these days when you <laughs> have to take that to the floor. But, um, yeah, so little to take from the match, but so much to take from the finish is me basically making that deal with the devil. That, oh, no, I like this because I'm interested in that. Nobody saw this coming because why would they? And then reports break today that Ronda's got this hard out, is the phrase I'm hearing. Yeah. And in order for that hard out to be hit where she's fought Shayna Baszler, the turn had to happen now. So mm-hmm. we can get to this. That's very businessy rather than story-based. That's We're watching a thing happen because wrestler contracts rather than the narrative. Yeah. It's like that scene at the... Spoilers, if you've never seen Lost and you care, skip ahead for 10, 20 seconds. The bit at the end of Lost where like not all the characters are there and it wasn't because of an narrative reason, it was because someone didn't want to re-sign on for the finale because they thought <laughs> the contracts weren't paid enough. Right, there you go, so you won't know. Um, this is one of those, but in the moment, I was confused, excited, and captivated by it. So they kind of got away with one, eh? Yeah. And like Raquel Rodriguez and Liv Morgan winning the belts doesn't suddenly reinvigorate the division. As we saw by the press conference, they were kind of up against it to name more than two teams they could realistically face for the titles. That's something that Triple H has got to fix if he ever wants anybody to buy into these things. But as something that was more angle than match, I got a lot out of the angle. Yeah, this for me is the kind of the opposite of when WWE this, did the, I always lean on this often, the summer of punk angle where st- stuff didn't happen the, the way you hoped or anticipated it would. Mm. But you thought, no, 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 they're going somewhere with this. <laughs> let's see, Let's see what happens. Let's see why Kevin Nash has yeah. come in and attacked uh, CM Punk and Costa in this moment and now Del Rio's involved and the mm-hmm. briefcase and da, da, da. and then I look back in sort of November, December of that year and went, wait a second, none of that made any sense. Yeah. I'm in the moment now where I like this so much, I'm intrigued to see where it goes next And but maybe in a few months' time I'll say, well, that was bloody stupid because Shayna came out and said, well, the reason is because she ate my yoghurt or whatever. <laughs> and you're like, oh, well, that was kind of have all the reasons that these two and their history and blah blah blah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, on the night I kind of made up the thing of Ronda was Ronda was doing her slapping myself. I'm the I'm a baddest I'm a bitch. Jane, it was just sick of her bollocks. <laughs> oh, not again! It might go that way. They've got a they've got a couple of hurdles to jump over here for this to make proper sense because this happening like after the fat end of a seven or eight minute match. Yeah, needed to happen then because of the shock, but does sort of ask questions about well, Shana. Quick question, mate. What if you win? <laughs> like, when are you gonna when are you gonna perpetrate this? Like yeah. is she gonna say it? And this to be fair would be the way I would go with it. Is she gonna say, Rhonda, I've been waiting for weeks to do that. Like, we've you patronized me, uh, and you thought that you could piggyback off me to win a title. Uh, sorry, that I was piggybacking off you to win a title that you helped me find my killer instinct. No, 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 mate. It was the other way around. Yeah. Have you seen you since you came back? You needed me. But then, because we just kept winning, because I was so dominant, I didn't have an opportunity. Finally, I had one. And I, like, I think that's the only way they can talk around yes. that. Because like, why would she not do that in the unification match as a way to make a big point? Why would, she, why would they go to the trouble of winning the tag belt? You know what I mean? Like, yes. uh, I don't know. Like, and maybe, maybe, because did anything ever come out about Shayna's injury at WrestleMania? No, I don't think so. What if that was a work and this was in the works for a bit? And Ronda was like, what do you mean? Like, I won the belts single-handedly for us at... I won the match single-handedly for us at WrestleMania. That got us the shot, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. It's a, it's a hard road to get back to this yeah. one making total sense, but it did make for a good shock. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Moving on now to the shortest match on the cards. Mm. Seven minutes and 45 seconds, according to Wikipedia, for the Intercontinental Championship match between Gunther and Matt Riddle. We talked in advance of this, that it could be a show-stealer match of the night. It didn't turn out to be that case, and it was completely overshadowed by the return of Drew McIntyre, really, in the immediate aftermath of this match. But also, yeah, I was completely believing of the story because it's hard enough to beat Gunther at the best of times. If you're going in already with an injury, you're in big trouble. And that's exactly what happened to Matt Riddle here. He was dominated. Yeah, Gunther ate him up. Um, and there's a few things about that. So I wasn't expecting this layout at all. Uh, but I feel at pains to say I had a good time with it anyway. Yeah. I can't, maybe, right, this is the best example. I'll try and do this comparison once more and then not again, but I think I've got one more in my locker. Maybe this is the best example of where... I didn't feel like some of my expectations for Fabindor were met, but they were with money in the bank because there were probably two or three matches on Fabindor I didn't love anywhere near as much as I thought it was going to. I loved this, even though it wasn't the match I thought I was going to love. Mm. I thought this was going to be a Gunther epic, going double that time, maybe even longer, 20 minutes. We've seen loads of these types of matches where you're just breathless in the end, left in a complete state of shock. You've thought Riddle's going to win the belt three or four times despite Gunther being on this dominant run. I didn't get any of that, but I was incredibly satisfied watching Gunther eat him up. Like, he beat him down, he beat him down. Riddle had a couple of exciting uh, giant killing moments mm -hmm. before the giant got back to doing the killing. And I might have foreshadowed it, which is why I was so pleased they did it, but the chops to the foot and the yes. ankle. Oh, my God. Yeah, was the way to go. And the chops, like, I love the finish because the chops being... I, oh, he can't do that. That's a transgression. Followed immediately by the heel hook on a guy with like a s smashed up ankle and heel. Yeah, with an MMA background, he knows, well, if I don't tap, someone's going to snap. Yeah, I, I've already had to bandage it and I'm potentially done forever here. And obviously the fact he doesn't wear boots, so like in my head canon, there's like less protection. Yeah. I don't I don't know that to be true, but that's no, how my wrestling fan from. brain works. Like, I, ju I just love that so much and it was so committed and I don't, I, we've seen this before. I think sometimes WWE, one of the biggest failings of WWE is their failure to, like commit to things in their booking sometimes. And this was so committed. I think it probably rattled people in the sense that, oh, that's not how this normally goes. So can this possibly work? But as you say, the Drew McIntyre thing was always the right mm. out of the way you. Look, Riddle kind of, it felt a little bit last year that due to outside the ring stuff, he once and for all, like blew his opportunity to be trusted as a top, top guy. Mm. They take that position incredibly seriously. And they want you to hold up a certain standard outside the ring as in it. And, you know, not to get too into the weeds on Riddle's personal life. And uh, there's a lot about him that lends to the argument that maybe he's probably not the guy to go with. Yeah. Like, so what they're doing is they're exploiting a real bond that a lot of fans have for him. 
and his ability to have any kind of good match and beating him like a drum. Yeah. He doesn't really win the big one anymore. So he's lost that kind of, he's lost that hope that you've got for a guy that can like break through. Mm-hmm. But he loses so spectacularly that he's back again the next month to do it all over again. He's kind of becoming a quite a useful utility man in that respect. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, WWE's kind of had their cake, cake and ate it too because they got all the build of, oh my God, we're getting Matt Riddle versus Gunther. This is going to be awesome. This is a this is an all WCPW affair, people were saying. Um, and yeah, if they booked it again for the Rumble, for example, mm-hmm. I'd be like, well, we didn't really got the like, We got some hope spots for Riddle but we haven't seen Gunther tested against a fully fit Matt Riddle for his IC title. I think you're probably more pressing than you realise there, because I'd be amazed if this wasn't booked for a Raw main event within the next two or three weeks. Yes, probably. Like, I, like, I think Triple H will take 20 minutes of this if you can get away with it on telly. But of course, it was more about the return of Drew McIntyre. Came down, <laughs> getting very giddy with that reaction, understandably, mm. in the O2. And gets in there with Gunther, headbutts him, claymores him, holds up the title with all the pomp and ceremony that went with that with oh I'm gonna bloody lift it yeah uh, but great to see him back most importantly of all an enormous pop as you would expect for a guy who's like hometown is just down the road in uh, Cardiff so <laughs> it was just it was really um a powerful use of Drew McIntyre who I had assumed there and then um that had signed a new contract and Triple H seemed to assure everybody of that, or infer it certainly in yeah. the press conference when he was saying, yeah, it was a thing, he wanted a thing, and we gave him a thing. And then today there's reports that that's not the case at all, and there's still a lot of conversations to be had. So Drew's place in all of this is very interesting, and like, what a super dramatic SummerSlam match that stands to be. Yes. Like, if that's where we're going, and you can assume that off this, how awesome that's going to be. Not least because, right, Drew is... This babyface, I don't think, has got a lot left to do as a babyface. No. So a defeat against Gunther is kind of ideal. Remember when we were trying to have him lose to Bray Wyatt for the same reason? Uh-huh. And they've bought themselves like six more months. Or carrying cross. Or carrying cross. Like, I think now is the time to do that yeah. loss that sends him spiralling into a heel turn. Because the anxiety around Gunther being so close to the Honky Tonk Man record around SummerSlam mm. is going to drive a lot of drama in that as well. Um, fun little match next. Uh, it went as we anticipated, really. Cody Rhodes versus Dominic Mysterio with Rhea Ripley causing all the interference and what have you ringside. And Dominic, Dominic running away like a little bitch until Cody, or oh, the finish, uh, I said this on the stream, felt like something out of a house show because normally it's like back and forth. Oh, oh, who's reversed that? Oh, he's, he's finished. Oh, he's got the two count. Oh, no, the other person's hit there. Finish one, two, three sort of thing. Mm. No, Cody just went, right, come here. Yeah. <laughs> Cody Cutter. Crossroads, one, two, three, thank you very much. And there's no Brock, obviously. We, we saw, thought about potentially Brock coming out. Yeah, no Brock. More disappointingly, no Brandy. <laughs> uh, I, this was the one for me that fell away on the second viewing. I, we were popping daft for Dominic getting, I think it was two or three slaps in yeah. before Cody could get a shot. And I, r- I really appreciated that. I loved that. Like Dominic running the ropes and sliding under Cody's legs just to get back out the ring. Rhea Ripley standing guard over him. The one point Dominic took the advantage and Rhea Ripley did the, like, the shimmy and the, as she was trying to set up for a <laughs> 619. But the re- this wasn't it for me, you know? Like, I have loved the, well, what have we called this? Like a detour from a detour from a detour. Yes. Like, Cody not finishing the story is a detour. Cody fighting Brock is the detour from the detour. Cody fighting Dominic is the detour from the detour yes. from the detour. This needed more for me. This okay. needed more bells and whistles. Um, the show had loads of bells and whistles, so it wasn't short of it elsewhere. But I just kind of, I've got an expectation 
I've got an expectation for both Cody to bring the fun and games and the Dominic match. Yeah. To have it as well. And on both counts, I was kind of, I felt a little bit, when you say house show, I agree. But with all the negative connotations that brings, I I just felt this was a little bit underthought for them asking me as a consumer to buy that Cody Rhodes would willingly take a month out of his very busy schedule of trying to get back to that title by doing this. Like I felt I needed as much of a fireworks factory as I could get. And I didn't really get that. Cody's press conference was more interesting to me than the Dominic <laughs> match, where he spoke a bit more frankly about how he felt. And, and WCPW. And WCPW, put over what culture? Like the Soul Wrestlers Dirt Press Conferences these days. He's talked with Ariel Helwani, and he's talked about a documentary coming out. And I, like, I'm kind of feasting right now on Cody's take on WrestleMania more than I was feasting on the fun of a Dominic Mysterio match. So I'm a little bit disappointed by this. Like the fact that the press conference, he also went, World Heavyweight Championship is not finishing the story, so I don't... Bob me off with that, Vince. Yeah, the high wire act there was quite impressive, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I think, and this is maybe me being more defensive than I necessarily need to be, (laughs) because, yeah, I mean, I I can't do this, so obviously. I think they arguably didn't do all that they could do in this match because they maybe thought, well, all everyone's going to be talking about is what happens before this match, i.e. the return of Drew McIntyre, and what happened immediately after, i.e. John Cena coming out. So maybe they thought... Well, even if we did put on this insane, wacky, you know, biggest baby face in the versus biggest heel in uh, Cody versus Dom, it won't really matter because it's going to be drowned uh, drowned out by all the noise coming from the other two things. But yeah, it was a sort of by the numbers uh, match. Nothing happened in that match that you and I sat there and went, oh, we didn't even think that they could do something like that. That's it. You've nailed it. Um and we talk about expectations. I've said it about 50 times in this podcast. My expectations are set higher with Cody, truthfully. I think he's got that in him. Yeah. We've seen it 100 times. And I just... The Cody-verse... Maybe he's just saving himself because he knows he's going to get the sh- beat out of him by Brock on the road to and probably at SummerSlam. Yeah. The Cody-verse, as we knew it in AEW, is kind of a perfect fit in WWE. So I wish we'd had a little bit more of that than what we got. Yeah. That's fair. Um, but we have to talk about what came after because it was a surprise appearance of one John Cena coming out to you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, understandably, um, and he comes out. He teases potentially WrestleMania in the UK. Oh my god! Please, because we've clearly justified it. Shout out to my American friends. I feel bad about them. I die tribe at the start of this podcast now. <laughs> my American friends and Matt Reigns. And then he's interrupted by. The bloody Grayson Waller effect, man himself, Grayson Bloody Waller. Mm-hmm. And they get into it. There was a really nice nod to the clip that was doing the rounds on social media of that bloke just let wrestlers just maybe just having a bit of time to themselves, whether it be yeah. in a restaurant or going through an airport. Cena was given a lot of credit for how we handled that, yes. wasn't he? Yeah. How about I just spend some time with my friends or whatever mm-hmm. he said exactly? It was a callback to that there. Um, Grayson Waller effects. Uh, Grayson Waller, sorry, uh, p- pictures um, WrestleMania in Australia. Oh my, oh, oh my God. It was weird. I'd love that, to go to that one as well. Well, it was weird in the in the shadow of an Ashes defeat. Am I right there to Australia at the weekend? Yes. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you count cheating as as a uh, win, then I'm not getting at that. The, the same old Aussies, mate. 
Always oh, bloody cheating. Australia was used as the heel in the O2 when I think me and you, to, to your point about the Yemen Gaird button, was like, well, that'd be cool too. Yeah. That would be really cool to, like, a WrestleMania in Australia. Like, A, I want work to send us there. Do but you, B, you reckon that cost? I'd be insane. Oh, yeah, that's not happening. But B, like, I want to look at that, and the time difference really benefits us again. So i got yes. nothing, like, do it. Grayson's right. The weather is crap. Like, we do, we need, if it's Wembley, right, like, AEW have done it in the summer, to, and praying not for rain. Like, <laughs> WWE need a plan. Yeah. Like, that roof, however the frig that thing works, needs coming all the way over yeah. the building rather than just covering the, the bits that it currently covers. That's a huge risk. <laughs> like, New York's a bit of a dicey one for WrestleMania. Yeah, yeah. The UK friggin' out. Like, this morning, like, it was looking like it was going to piss down while I was on the train while I needed to take my coat off because I was too hot. It's July. It's July. But, um, yeah, Grayson Waller gets into it with him, beats him down, takes too long posing, and gets hit with an AA to a great reaction. I thought this was amazing. Yeah. I, and again, I don't think necessarily the sentiment was shared. I found Grayson Waller's performance, quite frankly, and I did watch this a second time in full, to be outstanding. Yeah. Um, he, we have seen John Cena gobble up countless guys just like Grayson Waller um, in promos, in physical exchanges, and he doesn't, and I don't think he even does it, like, with this sense of brutality and malice. I think he does it believing that it's just the way business should be done. Baptism of fire. Yeah, I don't necessarily subscribe to it, but I think he does it with this purpose of like, right, I'm going to test your metal, and if you die on the night, like, tough tits. Next time I come back, let's see if you've progressed. Yeah. That kind of stuff. That's his method, I guess. That's He's WWE. not worried about his position in the company. No, that's WWE's method. But if somebody looks like they can hang, he will stand back, or he will sell, or he will whatever. And I just feel like that was what we had here. I think Grayson Waller maximized his minutes yes. in a way that Austin Theory never, ever did. Mm-hmm. And obviously that comparison was already getting made. They're both compared with The Miz, uh, for better and worse. And I just thought Waller here just had such poise and confidence. And to the point where anybody that has only ever seen Grayson Waller on the SmackDown uh, showing the star of the Grayson Waller effect. We're probably wondering what the hell we were talking about on the NXT yeah. podcast. And this was what we were talking about. Yeah. Like, the broken leg recovery, and he did that stupid, incredible, stupid pose thing he does. That running on the spot on his knees yeah, like gimmick. Down his knee, yeah, yeah. like, so his leg's good to go. Like, this hopefully will be this huge moment for this character where the Grayson Waller effect can be what it's supposed to be rather than what we've been seeing, which is this fawning fanboy that happens to have tweets about himself on the screen. <laughs> like, I'm hoping this is quite a big moment for Grayson Waller because it felt like that in the moment. And yeah, WrestleMania UK, it's really interesting. Like, let's twenty twenty six. I think is the first one we can do. Well, this is it. They're, I don't think they're talking about it. They couldn't step this close to the line without having something in discussion. Yeah, you and can't. I just wonder why now. Why this conversation's happening now? I can't work it out. Yeah, totally random. It's nice to see them plugging their uh, video game. <laughs> oh god! Oh god! This company, Jesus Christ! I got to fight forever at the weekend. Yes. Um, my uh, last sort of hail mary getting my kids into pro wrestling. I'm not sure if it's going to work, but like uh, as. Michael Games Hamlet, formerly of the What Culture Gaming podcast. <laughs> yes, it's a it's a yes from me. Like it's going to replace Tetris as the game I pick up for my fifteen minutes of government mandated switch time <laughs> of an evening, and for a wrestling game to be that like instantly playable, huge credit. 
I can't speak to the quality of the WWE games because I haven't played one since about 2011 yeah. or something. Yeah, we can't review it in full. Andrew Pollard did that. I believe that's available as a podcast or on a YouTube channel right now. Both. Um, but um, do you put the world title on anyone in particular when you so, played it? CM Punk immediately. And then I, uh, my kid fought me as Adam Cole and the counter system is such that he somehow beat me. Um, I was trying to make a point because Cole was my TNT champion. I had him beat whoever the game starts with. I can't remember. It might be Darby Allen. Somebody starts the TNT champion. I had Adam Cole beat him because I just wanted to see his entrance with a belt. And uh, and then we did a title versus title match because Josh, my son, quite likes Adam Cole. I thought, here we go. Right, I'm gonna, I'm Kick gonna, his ass. And make a double champion out of CM Punk. And then I think I showed you the picture of Cole holding both belts because he just mashed some buttons and did a roll up and I couldn't kick out. So when he went to bed, I... Uh, Put Christian Cage against Adam Cole to the TNT title. <laughs> Not even Punk. Punk didn't even get the double. Nah, it's like you missed your missed your window now, kid. Christian Cage, the meanest sort of choice. Yeah. Exploding bar by death match is fun as well. It looks great. Yeah. Uh, right. Let's move on to the uh, women's Money in the Bank ladder match featuring Bailey, Becky Lynch, Trish Stratus, Zelina Vega, Zoe Stark, and EO Sky. Um, Rough going early on is the best way I can put that, and the nicest <laughs> way I can put yeah. that. Some sort of convoluted spots that seemed even more convoluted than usual, and mm-hmm. just not quite gelling. But my god, when they kicked into gear, we mentioned the Selena Vega Zoe Stark spot, um, and then there is a moment that I went, I think goes straight into the top five of best Money in the Bank moments ever that closed out this match. Yeah. Um, bad stuff out the way first before we get to the praise that I can't wait to rain down on this finish. How, you know how like, one of the reasons Twitter's algorithm is so successful is because things can't be both even though they can. Mm-hmm. It absolutely has to be this way or this way with no in between and it definitely can't be both. Whereas in normal conversation and in life, yes, everything's both. Everything's always both. People are complex. Things are complex. Situations are complex. Everything's always both. Have I said enough qualifiers to explain why Trish Stratus uh, I think she's like 47. Like, closer to 50 than 40, I think. Bang, bang on, 47. Right. 47 years old, uh, a mother and a wrestler, and somebody that was out of the full-time game for, what, 15-plus years? Yeah. Save for, like, odd individual appearances here and there. It is amazing to watch her, given those parameters. And she's rubbish. And, I, like, I don't know how to reconcile these things. Because... I am absolutely blown away by her incredible attitude towards all of it. Yeah. And the willingness and the risk. Love her alignment with Zoe Stark. The relationship with Zoe Stark is awesome and it is getting Zoe Stark over and the intent of the things that she comes up with to want to do. Like, I'm blown away. I'm, I'm properly, properly wowed by it. And wrestling is sexist because if, like, I know, like, the, the mean age is getting older of the wrestlers now, but nearing 50 if you if like a, re- a male wrestler's like this guy's nearly 50 how is he still doing that that would be the conversation yeah and i don't think it is with trish and i think that's grossly unfair some of the stuff looked horrendous <laughs> like immersion breakingly fake there was a spot where so this is a point right there was two spots that i thought that looks terrible and yet required athleticism that i will never be capable no. of in my life and couldn't have been even if i was at like my athletic peak which was probably for about six weeks when i was 17 <laughs> like she does the um you know she would normally settle for the hurricane rana with like that like that handspring handstand thing. Yeah, yeah. She tries to do one up a ladder to get in the yeah. arena. That is so ambitious. And if you, if it doesn't all have to happen in one fluid motion, she does it. Yeah. But it 
does have to happen in one fluid motion, and it's a bit awkward because time stands still as the fluid motion isn't mm. happening. So That's there's a hurricane runner in there as well. She did a head scissors. That was it, sorry. Was it off Bailey from the like a so. middle rung? And like it looked so bad, but the athleticism to even get into yeah. position is incredible. Like the control over your body and ah uh, oh man, and I find it so I'm trapped between those two worlds with Trish. And it's a shame because those were the the points I felt like I had to isolate for where this match didn't feel like it was coming together. Uh-huh. Because then it came together. Oh. And it absolutely... Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Totally ruled from there. Like, I would say from the point, like, I, I can't give you the exact point in the match, but probably from when the handcuffs came out, because it felt like a lot of the big spots were out of the way and we could get on with, right, getting to this. Again, this morning in the back, right, how does everybody find themselves out of the equation? And so Becky Lynch is handcuffed... Uh, has one handcuff on because Zoe Sark and Trish earlier in the match have tried to handcuff her to the turnbuckle to stop being able yeah. to climb the ladder right. I want to put over how effective this match was at having Becky Lynch play both somebody that wants to win and somebody that is embroiled in a feud. I completely believed this. Uh, I could climb the ladder, but I'm really sick of these. I'm going to beat them up. There was a point where the camera panned to a ladder in the ring and nobody in there. It was a bit. It was just after the, I think the manhandle slam on Trish th- to the ladder from the announce table. You get all this brutality on the floor, and then in quite an artful touch, the yeah. camera looks at an empty ladder in the ring <laughs> and nobody there because the the fight has consumed Becky, Trish, and Zoe to the point where they're having this fight, and they've kind of forgot. We've forgotten what we're doing here. <laughs> like, and I believed it. I totally bought it. And what I loved about this was I thought the oh, we've forgotten what we're doing here, would mostly be the damage guitar thing. Yes. But if anything, remembering what they were doing there was what informed that story. So there's a fabulous spot where Bailey pushes Eosky, pushes the ladder off with Eosky on it, and you're led to believe that Eosky didn't know Bailey was doing it, but we're given the time to register Bailey's face of, uh, do I regret this? Only a bit. I want to win. Like, I've done it now. And it's Bailey in London, so... Yeah, and, like, she gets the benefit of both a babyface response for the action, but in story, it makes total sense that, I don't think he was going to see me do this. Like that. I think she's going to get away with it. Yeah. She's going to watch tape tomorrow, but tonight I can get away with this. So that seemingly rules EO Sky out of the match completely. Then Bailey's obviously sort of found this opportune moment. I'll, I'll, we'll just, I'll talk about the cool spot that you mentioned earlier on the second with Zelina Vega. But, so that leads to this really epic moment where suddenly it's not EO Sky. It's Bailey and it's Becky Lynch. Oh. Like the, oh the babyface horsewoman has vanquished her foes enough to have one last climb at the ladder. And the heel one has turned on a friend to do it, right? <laughs> so that's pretty great storytelling in and of itself. They're climbing the ladder, but Bailey's not done enough to EO Sky because EO is stronger now than her. The apprentice has replaced the master. Ignore EO's incredible experience. I'm talking about yes, in WWE yeah, terms, yeah. right? Like, the apprentice has replaced the master. She's not only physically better, she's also smarter because she's recovered from the bump. She notices that Becky Lynch has got a handcuff on that was placed organically on her as part of another story within this match. Handcuffs the women together and climbs over Bailey's body to win. Oh my, oh, my, oh, my, oh my God. The visual is as good as the story, because Becky Lynch and Bailey can't do what everybody else is doing, which is lay out. They have to be completely like alive and conscious and physically fine because they were climbing. They were the last two in it. Yeah. So their faces have got to tell the story, and they do. Oh, my God, how do they tell the story? While EO, absolutely beaming, sits atop the ladder, holding the briefcase, having kind of rather poetically, obviously literally climbed over... Bailey, but kind of rather poetically, finally supplanted the horsewoman, the horsewomen as one of the industry's top women. If you look now at Rhea, at Bianca, at Eel, and like I want to say Zoe Stark, but there are others. Yeah. Like the horsewomen are gradually moving down as the next ones move up. Yeah. 
and I'm not. That's not to say like Becky and, Char- and Bailey can't be put back in a title program tomorrow, and we know Charlotte always will be. But certainly, this felt quite a kind of powerful moment yeah. for the division, taking its necessary strides forward beyond the kind of the four that held it up and held it down. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there's a Vega Stark spot with oh. especially with the what's he called the code red flipping power bomb on the ladder. Is it the flip flop. Oh, the uh, is it Chancler? I don't know. I think I'm probably mangling the pronunciation of that, yeah, but like Zelina's huge Really happy for both of them that they got a big spot like that and just nailed it. She had a great night. Um, this over-delivered. Uh, moving on to the World Heavyweight Championship match. It was Finn Balor challenging Seth freaking Rollins. Um, and this match was kind of overshadowed by the issues uh, going on within Finn Balor's group because, of course, he's not just a you know a, a man on his own. He's part of a group. He's in the f***ing judgment day. On the other slide. This, for me, justified the opening match result. Second match of three where I'm going to basically point to the last few minutes as getting something over the line, because I ultimately what happened here was that the chickens came home to Reese. The Seth Rollins-Finn Balor action was good, but no better than you would see on any wrestling broadcast now, and I include, like, NXT in that. Just in-ring has raised it. Like, the standard in-ring has raised such a point where, like, we're talking about three or four-star matches has not been enough now because yeah. they're just not memorable. That was the level this reached, and what that proved to me was that you can try your hardest to sell a seven-year revenge story, <laughs> but you can't force people to believe it. Yeah. And I think that's what happened here. And I will say that people genuinely seem to emote when we saw a Booker bomb. Yeah. So that element of the story was successful. This move carries a different weight when these two men are in the ring than it would at other times. And that worked. Um, but the rest was just wrestling. And Damien Priest coming out elevated it to something more. And I was really impressed with that because... I was suddenly, and I kind of knew that Seth was winning beforehand. I knew it even more when Damien came out because you just you just sensed that there was no cash in coming. Mm. But I really, really like this Judgment Day. Um, like, well, it's like I guess we can say that this was like a double bill, wasn't it? Because this was cinema before cinema. So this <laughs> is like going to watch something, having a break in the middle, and watching the other one, like those horror movie yes. film nights that you get. Um, and I, I, I used like to do those at uni. They used to do like. It was called The All-Nighter. Yeah. And it was for charity. I understand, obviously, to a certain extent. But it was like, come and watch these six films, back to back to back. And I was like, I, I like going to bed, thanks. It's too hard. Me and my wife my did that. My dreams are cinema, actually. So. We, we did that two years in a row. They put, um, It was around Halloween. Yeah. And I think it was like when the Saw films were being released every Halloween. And we saw, like I think it was Saw 2 and Saw 3. We saw it as part of a... It was the fourth in a series of four films. Oh, uh, yeah. And that was like the main event is the new Saw film. And it encouraged, but you basically had to pick a sleeping film. You had to pick a film that you knew you were going to doze off in. Like, and I think what like... happened during Saw 2 or whatever. Well, that's it. You don't want to fall asleep for the thing that you've not seen yet. Yeah. There's like all these other classics on. And I think like... You say like... And it is like funny to think about having a nap during Saw. I think I had like a nap during uh, The Omen. Because like, well, I've seen The Omen. Yeah. And it's the third film and I'm flagging. So I'm going to like, I'm going to watch the bit where she screams near the start. I won't spoil why that might be if you've never seen The Omen. But then I was like, no, I'm going to have an hour. I'm going to have an hour. Yeah. Um, and I think that, like, do you know what? I think that next year when we did it, I think 
the one I napped in was the director's cut of Alien because not only had I seen Alien loads, but I'd actually even seen the director's cut once before. Wow. And it was just, like, I love how, uh, like, perfectly paced and slow and tense it is. But when you're tired, slow and tense is mm-hmm. sleepy time. So I just took a nap. And I could have done during this match, but I genuinely like the Damien Priest, Finn Balor um, tension. I'm yeah. really, really into that. And we'll talk more about that on the Raw preview later. So mm-hmm. do join us for that one because obviously just so uh, intriguing to see what happens next with all of the Judgment Day. Rhea's still champion. I think she's got a time match with Ty tonight. Mm-hmm. Dominic Mysterio surprisingly didn't win the big one against Cody yeah. Rhodes. What next for Dom? Uh, Finn Balor's just failed in his attempt to win the world title. He thinks courtesy of Damian Priest, but mm-hmm. Damian Priest clarified that he wasn't out there to do what Finn Balor thought he was out there to do in his press conference, but he is senor money in the bank, of mm-hmm. course, and just, hey, hey, WWE, come here. How about we have a week after the pay-per-view where no one cashes in? Because already EO Sky has already become the second longest holder of the women's money in the bank <laughs> briefcase wild, by the mere fact that the pay-per-view was on a Saturday and not a Sunday. <laughs> so even if she cashes in tonight, yeah. it's long enough that she... Only slots in behind Carmella's 280-odd days now. Weird. But also, yeah, let's have a while with two people with the briefcase with that just hanging over everything. I really like it. You don't need to pull Mm -hmm. the trigger on it. But also, you don't need Damien Priest saying, hey, I could win the IC title, I could win the US. No, you should win a world title. Hold on to it for a while and make that case purple. Mm. Oh. Oh, my God. Finally, let's talk the main event, Bloodline Civil War. Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa versus Jimmy and Jay, the Usos. Even I'll admit, this took a while to get going, but when it did, everyone should stop bothering, working on, post-producing, whatever you want to call it, any more movies, because cinema has peaked, the Oscars have been swept in advance by the performances here, Roman Reigns was pinned for the first time in over three years by Jey Uso. The crowd was so into this near the end, they got completely done Mm. by WWE's brilliant false finish in this match. And, you know, I thought it was Okada-esque in its slow burn to epic finish. Your thoughts? Right. I know what you've done there. Huh? Yeah. I know what you've done there. This was Okada-esque if we're talking about Okada and Brian, because I was kind of bored for the first half of the match and then completely engaged with the second. Here's my last sure-to-be-divisive comparison. So this was really bland for 20 minutes, and the last 10 minutes were probably the most electrified I felt as a fan all year. Yeah. And it's been a pretty electrifying year. So, like, I, w- I would... This is... I'm going to lose subscribers over this. I uh, would compare this to Okada versus Brian because I was really on the hook for that when I thought, oh my God, Brian's selling that arm is incredible. Yeah. Before I realised it was a shoot broken. Um, and I wasn't engaged with the first 10 minutes of that Okada-Brian match. And then I was gripped for the last 10. The percentage gap was bigger on this one. I think I needed the, the 20 boring minutes to be much shorter than they were for the, this. How long did this go? Uh, 32 minutes so I'm going to give this the benefit of the doubt and say the last 12 with the hot 12 but there was 20 drab minutes here Uh, but how do you how do you rate it if the um, 
if the last 12 were as incredible as they were. I would say everything from Jey Uso's hot tag was just the best, my favourite experience watching wrestling this year, genuinely. Once he was in the ring, you actually knew that you could get on with the business of the business. Um, <laughs> because ultimately, as I'll say this for the wrestlers, right? They knew that the crowd were going to want to spend the first portion of this match just having loads of fun with it. There was loads of chants directed at Roman Reigns. Yeah. Like, stand up if you hate Roman, and then he sat down. <laughs> like, Roman is a wanker. Uh, all that sort of stuff. Fans were having a blast with this, right? Mm -hmm. So it kind of stands to reason that the wrestlers planned to do nothing while they had a blast. <laughs> because it's like, let them get their stuff out of the system, be having the great time that they're having, and then we'll do our bit yeah. when they're actually ready to engage in the story. So they nailed that, actually. Mm. As an on-screen thing, it was a lot of out for a while, and I was quite pleased that me and you came up with a preposterous bloodline bit to fill, <laughs> to fill gaps in our live stream. Check that out if you want to. Uh, it's our no bad news bloodline bit. Yeah. Um, wherever you get your live streams. The end stuff was just... Well, I mean, I thought this was in London, but it turns out it was in Cannes. Because uh, <laughs> that... It was two points I want to isolate for praise, but I just loved every goddamn second of it. Roman. No, I'm, I can't isolate two. There was too many. Right, where do we, I'm going to try and do this chronologically. One of the best ref bumps I've ever seen, by the way. Incredible ref bump, because it looked like he took that rope square on the knackers, and then it sounded like it too. I believe he sees that for the ah! I've been waking up a lot with sore knackers after my vasectomy, so I felt like that bump was quite relatable, <laughs> right? Um, so he hit the deck, and then the action starts. Roman telling uh, Solo... Do it. You know what you need to do. Do it. And that being the big table splash. Yes. Ultimately being the thing that wrote Solo out of the match. Was, that's Roman's fault. Yeah. Right, that's Roman's fault. Right. And I watched this back and I'm piecing it all together. And one of the reasons why Roman did that was to regain control because he spotted that he'd lost it after the stack. Now we're going to get to the stack in a second. But after the Usos kick up from the stack, kick out from the stack, uh, it's... Solo, no, sorry, after the, it's it's whatever there is kick out is, where Solo is like, where Roman's like lent against the ropes, and it's a stack, where Roman's lent against the ropes doing a surrender cobra going, <laughs> I didn't expect this, this wasn't in the script, what do I do now? It's Solo that goes, we crack on, Tribal yeah. Chief, I thought you were the Tribal Chief, am I going to have to take this one by the scruff uh -huh. of the neck? That's really, really great storytelling, really, really great storytelling, because you're not using a 15 minute promo that opens Smackdown, <laughs> or like... Maybe I was not the guy that night solo, but I don't know why he's become Von Wagner. Yeah. But like, maybe because Or a Von monologue mid-match, like they did. Yeah, or monologue mid-match. Yeah, it was physical stuff. It's Roman, like, in complete disbelief, and he's just lost his confidence in, like, everything, in, in the plan, in the bloodline, in the ethos, and Solo's gone, hang on, like, I've hitched my wagon to you. Yeah. Like, I've betrayed yeah. my brothers for this. We're going to have to win this, otherwise, what have I done this for, right? And it, Solo's acting was fantastic. Roman's, like, performance of that that drove Solo to that was brilliant. So, love the logic in that, right? The Roman's joy, his giddy joy at the spike and spear finisher oh. was fantastic. He's like, we're going to kill him. He's <laughs> your own family, and we're going to kill him. To lead up to the, the stack that didn't work was great. The stack itself not working, cinema, right? Because they both kicked out. Yeah, they both kicked out. This wasn't just Jay, like, powering both of his brothers back to life. This was like, you can't do this to us. Our bond, our unity is greater than you. We are greater as a whole than you can ever be. Some of our parts, all that sort of stuff. Like, and you can't do this anymore, Roman. The very reason you stacked up those two guys was because of Jay, was because of me. 
like the WrestleMania that you said you carried me to the main event of, maybe I carried you through it. Yeah. And now you're being forced to like come face to face with that. So that was fantastic as well. And then Jesus fucking Christ, <laughs> the low blow kick out. A spot so good and a cut so deep that Michael Cole missed it. Yeah. Right, on commentary. I got quite emotional with that low blow spot. That, that low blow spot is something quite personal to me because <laughs> I didn't love this Hell in a Cell yeah. monologue match, but I absolutely adored the Clash of the Champions one. The one where Roman first came out with his top off where you thought you were going to watch two cousins have a main event and Rome be like, I'm a heel now because I'm going to beat up Jey Uso. And then what in fact you got was the basically like the introduction to the tribal chief character. You couldn't have manifested what we got in that Clash of Champions match. Roman was like, he looked like a hundred foot, he looked like the gold Homer Simpson. Like yeah, A hundred foot tall, like um, monster that Jey Uso thought he was going to give his cousin a good old title fight. I've got myself a title match. And instead, he was just absolutely monstered by this beast that had, like, unlocked a cold bit. Well, Paul Heyman had helped unlock a bit of his brain that was like, I'm going to talk you into being the tribal chief. And mm. Roman bought it. He's in God mode. Yeah, God mode for the first time. Jay couldn't deal with it. Uh, and the one moment where the God mode might have been challenged, he went to the dick and balls. And you were like, right, already in this character that you were presenting as unstoppable, you have kind of... Giving the game away here. Yeah. You've shown your low-blowing hand, as it were, that not only are you prepared to do the dirtiest, cheapest things to oh, get the win, yeah. to protect all of this, uh, but you're going to do it and then claim kind of that you didn't. It's like, I'm the best because I'm just the toughest. It's like, all right, you were pretty tough, but you needed that to get it done. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. already you've shown the cracks in this Tribal Chief character on the first night that you launch it. And for them to revisit that... And I said it to you, like, we did the podcast that night. I had to do it in the quiet of the house in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. And I was so electrified by it that I woke my son up. I don't know <laughs> if that's still available to listen to in the archives, but he makes an appearance on it. Um, that's from Clash of the Champions 2020. And just, like, for them to revisit that specifically as oh. the thing that brings Roman down. Because it does. Like, Roman is low blood. He's there selling his sore knackers. And the Usos suddenly have the chance. And they beat him clean as a whistle, clean as a sheet, with the exact move that Jey Uso got the first pin on Roman yes. with back in 2013. They are absolutely going to do, I was the first person to pin you. I was the last person to pin you. And I'm going to be the next person to pin you. Mm -hmm. That's going to be what they're going to do as part of the SummerSlam thing. And I'm going to do it the exact same way. So now double super kick into the Uso splash is law of how Roman gets beat. Absolutely incredible. And your point about the fans, like giving it the BS chant. Oh, they, they, were were they were ready to write. They, they were, were like, oh, here we go again. Because it looked like the finish, didn't yeah. it? And like, so that's worked hook, line and sinker. I thought this was absolutely sensational booking. Never in a million years will I go along with the idea that they needed the belt anywhere near it. But fine, have it. Because I was so captivated by the drama of Roman Reigns getting pinned. And I guess the first time I'm ever going to like wiggle slightly was that, well, if Cody wins the title, Roman would have had to have been pinned. Yeah. So you've not lost everything, but you've lost something. That is the first time that an element of this story, take that knee off your tweet, because I'm going to become... he's going on, sorry. I'm going to become every single one of those quote tweeters, you beans toast Brit, right? <laughs> I thought it was in there like, I'm going to take all in away from you. I was like, go on then. Yeah. I'm not going to be here. You're so. not going to miss a thing. That was the first time, and it's nothing to do with the belt, it's to do with Roman shoulders getting pinned to the mat. That was the first time that WrestleMania match had something yeah. that had a knock-on effect yeah, to the, to the cinema justified. we received here. Um, Indication! This wasn't cinema. This was Shakespeare. And Hamlet likes Hamlet. <laughs> I, I, I could not get enough of this. I've watched this, like, J.U. so hot tag portion of the match five times, twice with you, three more times at home. 
once forcing my wife to try and care about the cinema. She didn't. Uh, I I don't know what to make of it because a lot of the match was really boring. Yes. What, what do you do with this? Like, cause Give I, it five stars is what you do. <laughs> and I know I, people say, well, come on, there was a ref bump in there. But um, apparently uh, shenanigans around referees doesn't stop you going above five stars in Dave Meltzer's rating. So... I'm just, I'm just asking questions, mate. Wilborn's putting his dickhead voice on there, but I agree with the dickhead, right? I, we haven't talked about this. No. I don't think that was a five-star match because Carlos comes back out and it renders getting thrown out completely pointless and a waste of the pop and a complete flagrant violation of like it wasn't a very a five-star basic tenet. Six-star match, mate. Apparently, yeah. I, I, I'm with you, right? I don't think that was five-star. <laughs> yeah. The action was incredible. The action was five-star worthy. A very significant detail of that match took it away from yeah. being five stars. But there we go. But back to the, this isn't five stars. This had a five-star closing section, and I think that makes it incredibly hard to rate. But they are earning quite a lot because they, uh, watch it back. Like the building just loses its mind. Yeah, it doesn't have to be for you, but I think there are certain objective markers that let you know that a thing is working. Yeah, and this, I mean, it worked for me, but I think it worked for lots of other people too. Yeah, I loved it. Money in the Bank's goaded. Let us know your thoughts on the whole show, though, uh, on Twitter, at WhatCultureWWE. Nice to see a bit of more of a nuanced take about it than the ones I get in replies at the moment. Uh, you can follow both of us on Twitter. You can follow Michael Hamflat at... I just realised I've shot hard in America the day before Independence Day. Please don't. <laughs> Please let your rate limit exceed before you have a go at me, at Michael Hamflat. Follow me, at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE uh, and make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Uh, me and Sid are going to be here in a bit to review AEW Collision, uh, and then me and Hamflet and Sid will be here to look ahead to tonight's Monday Night Raw and all the fallout, of course, from Money in the Bank. But for now, this has been the Money in the Bank review. My thanks to Michael Hamflet. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.